Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. All right, welcome to this week's episode of On the Up and Up. And And if you're tuning in, not on the schedule, but perhaps searched for PTO or PTO policies or PTO for small business, we are going to run the gamut because we got so many great questions submitted through our Instagram profile about what the F is PTO, how do we create policies, how do we enforce them, what happens to it if it's not used, and even a little bit of debate over unlimited PTO policies. So without further ado, I am going to jump right into the topic at hand and start by telling a little story. So when I first became a operations manager, because if you don't know my history, and it doesn't matter too much, um, I started my career in small business, moving away from a really toxic corporate environment into a small business environment um, by choice, because I just could not imagine myself in a cubicle anymore. And when I say small business, I don't mean five or six employees. Um, We were multiple locations, about 50 employees. I was in charge of one location. And the interesting thing was that my purpose, my the reason I was hired was to bring a little bit of that corporate energy to the small business environment, create policies, procedures, you know, just kind of lend that linear side of my brain to the functionality of this business. This is a really historically high turnover industry. Um, There's lots of employees coming in and out. So very quickly, the operations position became an HR position. Um, Although I have a master's in organizational management, there is, of course, education on HR in that in that realm, I never imagined myself in an HR career. I, To be frank, I just didn't think I was neutral enough. I thought that when people would bring me their issues, even though I already seemed to be a, a manager that people bring things to or want to talk to or felt open to speak to and things like that, which at the time I was really proud of, have since learned to develop some boundaries, um, I didn't envision myself as like those super put together HR girls that I saw in my corporate job. And yes, they were all girls um, or women, I should say. And so it was really interesting to kind of be shoved into this so quickly into this small business environment. And I saw that while I was making an impact through the operation side of things and the processes and the streamlining and, you know, increasing revenue, decreasing costs, things like that, in a business where 60% of the, it was a service-based business in person, so where 60% of your output is payroll, if you want to run a good business, you've got to be able to embrace the human side of business. And within a few months, I was grappling with 
HR in a way that I never thought I would and found a love for creating new and creative ways to approach the people side of business without sacrificing my love for operations. So when it comes to PTO, I've been an employee on a side of a business that their policies are a mess. Um, I've been an employee where the policies are extremely strict and did not give you any room for being a person in your job. And I've been a business owner that creates policies that serve me as the business owner in a way um, and serve the employees in a in a way that I think helps us meet in the middle. But one thing that I think that my experience lends itself to a little bit more is I've also been an employee that creates the policies. And that probably sounds like a total misnomer where you're like, wait, if their policies are affecting you, then obviously you're going to give yourself the benefit of the doubt. But when you truly want the company to be successful and you know that the policies that you create have such a far-reaching impact on revenue, then you want to create a really good middle ground. So I've definitely been in the middle of the push and pull of creating PTO policies that served me as an employee while also working within that environment and having to deal with people using PTO and covering for them and things like that. So First, I just want to start by like kind of defining a little bit about what we're talking about when it comes to PTO, and then we'll dive into some of the questions that were submitted. Um, If you have additional questions on this topic, please don't hesitate to reach out via Instagram. I'm happy to share extra stories, context, DM back and forth, you know, whatever the case may be. When you're building your PTO policy, we highly recommend using a professional to guide you along this process. And some of that is going to be covered a little bit later in the episode as we walk through the questions. So it's not quite as simple as deciding what days off people get or how much vacation time you want to provide and plugging it into your payroll system. There are compliance regulations that go down to the state, down to the county, and sometimes even down to the city level when it comes to the ways that you uh, interpret paid time off. So just to kind of define a couple of these of these terms, when we use the term PTO, we're talking about paid time off. So generally, this is going to apply to salaried employees, mostly full-time, but we do have a few occasional part-time salaried employees thrown in. The reason for that is think about your salaried employee as a their time for your company each week is the bucket. And let's say that you're, you classify your full-time and salaried employees as full-time if they work 40 hours a week. Then you've got 40 hours to count on them working for you. So contributing capacity, team meetings, whatever the case may be. On the flip side, the employee is committed to providing that 40 hours on behalf of the company. So we're not saying like micromanage every minute. That's not what this discussion is about today. So if for whatever reason, those 40 hours are not met with the employee working and showing up, then they have to be essentially supplemented by paid time off. So if you have an employee that, for example, takes off you know, early two days to deal with some personal issues. The the preferred thing to do is to fill those, let's say it's four hours early, two days, eight hours in that week with a paid time off bank that they, they've either accrued or been gifted. Within your policies, there may be nuances that will tell you what time to use for that, et cetera, et cetera. 
Now, when you're doing your payroll, most of your salaried employees are just going to be a check off the list. So when it comes down to that time, you're not going to be having that employee submit 32 hours a week. If they're an exempt salaried employee, then the payroll system just assumes that they worked all 40 of those hours. So you have to add in that gap yourself. So creating a PTO tracking system is really key in making sure that A, you're setting up a structure and a standard in which your team can abide by, and B, that you can make sure that you're submitting that time. So depending on how you build out your PTO policy, you there's always somewhere to speak of the time that is spent. So where this gets really gnarly is at the end of, let's say, a three-month period, you have an employee that maybe didn't deliver on all the projects that they were supposed to deliver, even though their capacity says that they should have been able to deliver it. Let's say now we can look at that employee's performance and say, well, you're you know, the reasons for this and you need coaching on, you know, completing the work in time, staying focused, um, you know, working on your technique for completing the project, how you're communicating with people. Um, basically, you're kind of at the end of this three months, you're like, wait a second, like, what am I coaching you on? Your capacity was only 40% full, but you weren't able to complete the work. There's so many things that are wrong here, but particularly we're losing money on this employee at the end of the day. However, if you have an employee that then you can look back and see, oh, well, actually they've been going, you'll probably know this, but you're go, they're going through something, they've had a death in the family, they took some bereavement time, they took a vacation, um, there was some additional PTO for illness that they used, and actually this employee was having a real high-low month, vacations and deaths and all kinds of stuff, um, and they also, you know, maybe had a... Uh, professional development conference that they went to and you offer a reimbursement for the time if the conference that they attend has something to do with their job. So their quote unquote billable hours, which we don't encourage you to use with employees, that's a contractor term, but let's just say their productivity hours, the hours where you're actually making fun, making money on that employee are significantly diminished during that 90 day period. Since you've been tracking it and you know where that time goes, then you can actually take a look at, okay, well, they actually had excused time off for 40% of their billable time. So the fact that they're hitting their 40% of capacity, but there's still a 20% gap, that's negligible. So we can see where their time went and we can use that more productively to figure out how we can coach them to get better ROI out of their, um, out of their performance. So this gets a little bit trickier. So hopefully that kind of explains when we're talking about PTO and the different versions of it. Their PTO can be paid time off for a company holiday that's just automatic. It can be paid time off that they're given, at, that they accrue as like vacation time. It can be, PTO can also encompass sick time. It can encompass bereavement time. So there's many different categories of paid time off. Paid time off does not cover things that are not paid. So essentially, if you have a part-time employee that's hourly, they may not, and in traditional work settings, part-time employees generally are not granted paid time off with the exception of the requirements by the state or local governments for sick time, illness time, 
COVID leave, things like that. So if you elect to provide paid time off for part-time employees, then you have to be really clear about what that looks like in your policies in order to make sure that you are supplementing their time via payroll and also tracking their performance. So if I'm losing you here, then don't worry. I'll get to the questions in a second, but I just wanted to establish this difference because many of us and many of our listeners have a mixture of full-time hourly, part-time hourly, full-time salary, one or two part-time salary, which is few and far between and usually very highly skilled um, and very highly trusted individuals, and maybe even some, some hourly kind of temp workers and things like that here and there. So when you, we're talking about PTO, we hear that term misused all the time. But essentially, it's your workers' responsibility to make sure that their hours that they're getting paid for are accounted for in some way. And having a trackable PTO policy and structure is a great way to do that that lends itself to your people knowing what they have available and encouraging them to use it. And also for you to make sure that you know exactly what you're getting from your team and their true employee cost. So if you're curious about how this all shakes out on the cost side, definitely visit our shop and download our employee cost calculator where we'll actually walk you through um, in a quick 10-minute tutorial about how to plug all these numbers in and see what your actual employee cost is. Another great thing that this cost calculator does is it will show you the value of the benefits package for your team member. So even, you know, some of these things are not going to be an out-of-pocket cost for us, but it is going to be valuable to the team member. So you can be really competitive when getting talent, especially when you offer a lot of PTO benefits. Okay, so on the next note, I do just want to make sure and be really, really clear that anything that we talk about today is going to be through the lens of a generalities and it's not necessarily going to be the law in the area in which you live or the area in which your employee lives. But I will start out by saying that when you are creating your PTO policies, if you live in a place that doesn't have too many stipulations, that's great. And your employee handbook may reflect that, but your team member where they live is actually going to indicate what laws you follow. So make sure, and there are so many nuances here, so make sure that you are seeking out a professional to help you to develop a program, a PTO program like this, and to weigh the cost and benefit analysis of different benefits that you can offer, and also being really aware of what is required by either your state or the state in which your employee lives and how you're going to handle situations as they arise. So I'm going to dive right into the questions that we got from our listeners and our audience. So basically, the first question was, how do I create a PTO policy for employees? And I kind of touched on this already, but for the most part, you are going to need to make sure that you're following local legislation, you're following the laws in your area, um, make sure that those laws, they can update even every year or so. So make sure that you are updating your PTO policy every year, um, that you're going out and doing the necessary research based on where you have employees and where you live. Um, and make sure that you are covering some of the key components when you're creating your PTO policy. So this podcast is not going to teach you about how to create a PTO policy, but it is hopefully going to outline some things to consider while you're getting your ideas out there on paper. 
So first things first, I think that one of the big things that you want to consider is if you want to have, okay, I want to talk you out of something. Most of our clients want things to be as easy as possible. They don't want to track time. They don't want to track hours, you know, that kind of stuff. But I'm just going to throw this out there. That's not really allowed. So when you have employees on your team and if you're paying them the same amount every single week or every single two weeks or every month or whatever the case may be, but they're classified as employees, there are minimum salary. That's called a non-exempt salary minimums that you have to abide by. So that's why part time salaried employees are really rare. So for example, the minimum salary for any employee, it doesn't matter if it's full-time or part-time in California, is over $66,000 a year. So most of our employees are having people that they're paying five or $600 a week, and they're like, yeah, it's great. Like they work, you know, they're 100 bucks an hour usually as a contractor, but some weeks they have a lot of work and some weeks they don't. So I just pay them this quote-unquote employee retainer. That's completely illegal and you will get in trouble. So... I'm not meant to scare you in any way, but if you're considering having a PTO policy, those types of unstructured, unidentified, um, undefined roles within your company, it's going to be almost impossible to create a PTO policy that serves your company as well as serves your bottom line. So yes, it might seem like it makes a lot of sense to not have people clocking in or out or not having to go and gather people's hours once every couple weeks when you're paying payroll or to just pay people monthly. But not only are there laws against how much you have to pay them, But there's also minimums in regards to the amount of time people can work. There's also uh, requirements on how much time can be between pay periods when you have employees. And that is all under the HR compliance that payroll systems are not going to catch. So keep in mind that not every payroll system is going to catch those errors. And that's why payroll compliance and HR compliance are different. Okay, so basically when you're creating your PTO policy, back to the question, how do you create one? You seek out help from somebody that is going to be able to give you the full story. What we always suggest to do is to create the policy for the best case scenario for your company, something that you can manage and something that you are excited about and able to afford to provide. So... That policy is generally going to be then broken down into figuring out how the PTO is distributed, if it's accrued or if it's given in a big bucket at the beginning of each year, how they're able to use it. Do they have to give you a week's notice, a month's notice um, to take time off, that kind of thing, and when you're eligible to use paid time off. So this is a big one. We recommend at least a 90-day waiting period for your employees to be eligible to use PTO. And if you are offering PTO, then it's often considered wages, depending on the state that you're in. Big disclaimer there. And and or best practice is even if it's not required to be considered wages in your state, meaning it's additional money that they're making a value on top of their salary. If the state doesn't classify it as wages, because that does vary, it's best practice to consider it a wage when you are building your policy, because then you're going to have the most expensive you know, basically worst case scenario when it comes to an employee that in your multi-state team. And another thing that it does is it creates equity across the board. So if you go for the most basically conservative policy that maybe is like fully on the benefit side of the employee, then you're most likely to not have to differentiate the policy between states or between where people live. 
So we always shoot for that 90 day waiting period so that you don't hire someone um, and then, you know, all of a sudden you're paying them out PTO within two weeks. And then if they don't work out and then, you know, basically they just got hired so they could use PTO. And contrary to, you know, I don't, again, not meaning to scare you. So skip 30 seconds ahead if you're not in the mood for this. But basically we, there are plenty of people out there that are going to look for small businesses hiring their first, second or third employee. They're going to assume you don't have HR and they're going to take advantage of that. And there are actual employment attorneys out there that are looking to weaponize these small businesses against um, employees to weaponize the small businesses policies against them. So it's really, really important that you are considering the fact that HR is a necessity from the first employee. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what the difference is between PTO and vacation time. So we talked about this just a little bit earlier. PTO is a generalized umbrella talking about any time off or off the grid time that your team member might take when they are being paid their normal salary, but they're not at work. So that could be vacation. That could be unplanned emergency time. It could be sick time. It could be bereavement time. All of those things are under the PTO umbrella when you have a certain status of employee. And so when it comes down to creating your policy, it's up to you to decide whether you want to have a PTO umbrella that covers everything or you want to separate it out and have there be different benefits for different issues that come up. So for example, one reasoning against this is, and maybe why you may not want to include bereavement time in your PTO policy, but in its actual own policy, is because let's say you have a, a team member and they have a, I'm going to, I don't know, I can't think of anything that's like not horrible. So I'm just going to say they have a spouse that passes away and your company offers, uh, let's say you offer a really really amazing three weeks a year of PTO for your team members. And it's on an accrual basis. And, you know, basically your team member loses a, a spouse. They come to you. They let you know about it because you have that open culture and they can talk to you about things and whatever. And they let you know what happened. And now you know that they're not going to be able to show up for their job. And you don't want them to. You want them to be able to take some time to grieve. And you want to be able to be strategic about making sure that their job is covered by other team members stepping in, helping each other out, maybe even finding a temp for however long it takes for this person to recover from this horrible loss. So what we've seen in the past is when you have a bucket that encompasses everything, you'll sometimes have employees who are forced to go to work or go because after a bereavement incident or go on vacation later that year or go unpaid, which is a horrible thing to have to choose between. So we do recommend that you, especially if you have a great payroll system like Rippling, um, you can actually put these buckets um, out there so people can use them for what it is needed. And it'll also give you some insights into how your team is using their paid time off. It also creates a situation where your team is a little bit more well-rested and supported because they can elect to choose to go on vacation instead of feeling like they have to stockpile their paid time off in order to take sick days or care for their children or things like that. Um, so it does kind of depend on what kind of culture that you have in regards to how you want to differentiate the different categories of paid time off. Um, okay, so the next question we have here is, is offering paid sick leave required by law? And 
it is in some places. So being able to understand the laws in which you're in the areas where your team members live is going to be able to inform you whether or not you are required to offer paid sick leave and even under what circumstances. So this is one of those things that's changing all the time. Um, it's one of the things that we cover in your annual audit um, based on where your team members live so that you can stay on top of it. And also how that sick leave is recorded and classified is something that is a compliance thing as well. So if you have a team already, but maybe you're not one of our direct clients, how you track when people use sick leave is important to your overall PTO strategy. Um, and this is because it's actually required by law in many states that you keep records of the use of this type of benefit on your employee's behalf. Um, and here's an example of that. So in my you know time in HR, there has been a few situations in which we had to submit paperwork to the state or to attorneys or you know not necessarily like a subpoena, but kind of a subpoena um, for workers' compensation cases or even other, cases that we didn't weren't really told about why it was why it was happening about their use of sick time and things like that. Um, so keeping in mind that if you have a payroll system that can track it for you, that's a great minimum viable option. But this should be something that you're tracking through another system that you build within your company and that you're tracking in their individual employee files to make it easy for you to provide that information should it be requested. Okay, next question. How should I handle PTO requests and scheduling? So when it comes to that, once you've established what your policy is, I would say just every single step of that claiming of PTO, the times, the dates, everything should be as structured as you can make it. And in response to that, respect the time that people are requesting off. So if someone wants to request time because they have to move or because um, they have family in town and or something like that, and they're using PTO to, to handle that time. Or if you have a part-time employee that requested time off, even if it's not paid time off, it's just, you know, you allow unlimited time off as long as they work around it, then make sure that you're re respecting the time that they have away. Anytime someone is on PTO, we have a no communication policy, which means that we don't bother them for any reason whatsoever, not even an emergency, because realistically, at the end of the day, it is in your employee's best interest to make sure that that communication is set up and handled prior to their departure, even if it's just for a day or two, so that the clients are handled, so that your their role is handled, any coverage they need is handled, um, because that is a reflection on them doing their job. This goes all the way back to the beginning, which is their job description and your employee handbook and what they're responsible for. And it creates a lot of autonomy and empowerment within that employee structure to know that no one is going to reach out to them and they can count on that. So if they want things to go smoothly, then they're going to have to, they're the ones that know their job the best. So making sure that they have your ear if they need it, that they're updating you on their way out, you know, little things like that are actually really empowering ways to kind of keep your team 
respecting each other's personal time, creating boundaries and using that structure to not be something that's annoying. Because if I'm going to tell you one secret today, one little secret is that all these entrepreneurs, including myself at one point, all thought, okay, so I'm going to have the most flexible thing ever. No biggie. I'm casual. Like we're great, whatever. But what ends up happening is our team hates it. It's actually not good for them. So structure is on It's a burden that we need to take on as a leader so that our team members can operate within that structure and then truly be free and off the grid when the time comes. And turn that in on yourself as well. If you're out of the office and you are getting pinged left and right by your team because you didn't set up that structure to go both ways, then you're not really getting the rest that you need either. And your team and your team structure and your HR is not where it should be. So... I know nobody ever likes to hear that, but that structure, if you can be as black and white as possible, then when it comes time to live in the gray, then you can spend more time on creating things, making accommodations, offering extra time, giving people extra holiday time if they or bereavement time or whatever they need, because the structure is going to handle 99% of what you're dealing with. And then that way you can pour it, pour your energy and attention into the strategy behind it and when your team really needs you to step in and help them with these little things that make it, you know, so much easier to be an employee and to know what's expected of you. So on that note, the secret is your team wants the structure. And if you're saying that they don't need it or they don't want it, then it's because you haven't done it right. (laughs) So sorry about that. Um, Okay, so The next question is, should I offer rollover paid time off or a use it or lose it policy? So rollover paid time off is when you have an accrual policy in your company. And so it rolls over into the next year because quite frankly, like let's say you have, this is not real, but an hour of PTO that is accrued per week. And then you decide that it resets at the end of every year, then their last paycheck of the year is going to have accrued another hour of PTO, but then it's going to be gone by midnight. It's like Cinderella situation. So that's where that comes from. The, The second part of this is a use it or lose it policy, which is essentially the same thing. It clears out at the end of each year, no matter what, um, but it maybe isn't accrued. They're just given a bucket at the beginning of the year and it's supposed to be used up throughout the year and then it disappears. So the reasoning behind this is that a use it or lose it policy is really intended to, I don't want to say force, but kind of force people to take the time that they are earning along the way. Um, It is generally used in situations where paid time off is not considered wages, which if you think back to the beginning of the episode, we talked a little bit about how we kind of want to default to considering paid time off as a wage um, because that is going to be the most conservative way to approach this. And it's also the most equitable way to approach it for our teams, um, that they're earning something that has monetary value. So if you have a use it or lose it policy, people are going to want to use up all their time before it expires at the end of the year. So this creates a cultural mechanism where people are using their time towards the end of the year, which generally slows down business, puts people in maintenance mode and makes everything really quiet. So depending on your business, there's two factors here. Creating a policy that forces people to use paid time off can be a great way to help 
empower your team to get that off the grid time and to create boundaries between work and life. And it reduces burnout. There's all kinds of benefits with that. Um, and the rollover paid time off policy, if you're choosing to accrue PTO and it's rolling over from year to year, then generally that's going to create a situation where there's a little bit more flexibility and flow in the time of year that people are taking time off. So whatever your business model is, one of those is probably going to make more sense based on how you want the end of the year to feel for your employees. Um, I've seen it work in both ways and just depends on the business, the people, you know, it, it you this is also something that you can adapt and change if it isn't working for you. Um, there's lots of different ways to look at it. But one thing I do want to add in is that there are many states where a use it or lose it policy is illegal. So essentially what that's going to do is consider the PTO as wages. And basically that would be like, oh, you're given all this PTO. That's considered wages. So you it would be like telling you how to spend your money, essentially. And your company's not allowed to do that. So keep in mind that there are many states where use it or lose it policy is illegal. And there's also some restrictions on how much um, a company can allow there to be a rollover. And all of these might sound really annoying, but they're actually really employee driven policies. So the more strict PTO policy you can find is probably the best benefit for your employee and your employee's mental health. So while it does sound kind of annoying, creating a healthy work environment is not necessarily supposed to be this nice, big, easy thing. Um, it takes effort to lead and it takes effort to create policies that are employee driven. And it takes a little bit more money oftentimes. So keep in mind that rollover PTO or a use it or lose it policy is going to have two factors. One, the way that your business offer operates and two, what is actually legal, not only in your state, but also in the state in which your potential employee lives. Okay, the next question is right along those lines. So I'm just going to speak on this a tiny bit. Can I set a cap on how much PTO employees can accrue? Yes, you can. And it kind of serves in the same purpose in those states where um, you may not be allowed to do a use it or lose it policy where it does require your team members to take time off. So I personally love to have a PTO policy with a rollover PTO to a certain amount. So they can't accrue like hundreds of hours or anything like that. But there is a cap. So it encourages your team members to be cognizant of that cap. Go on vacation, take their breaks, take off the grid time. Be open about when they're not at their desk. You know, we see a lot of this like, I'm not going to, why would I take PTO? I'm remote. I don't need to like, you know, plug the hours. I'm not clocking in and out, whatever. Um, and those are all cultural things that you can, I don't want to say control, but you can really control the outcome of that mentality based on the way that you structure your team. And I think setting a cap on the amount of PTO that your employees can accrue is a really great way to ensure that they're taking the breaks that they need and not taking advantage of a remote position by not actually being at their desk when they're supposed to. And it prevents you from having to become a micromanager. So that's a really great way to provide things for your employees, but also protect your company. The other thing with that actually leads right into our next question, which is what happens to unused PTO when an employee leaves? So this is another one where you're going to need to make sure that you're reaching out to a real HR professional because there are so many stipulations based on the state and where they live. Um, I don't even know the percentage really, but generally speaking, if you 
create a policy for PTO in your company where it tells you what happens to the paid time off when the employee leaves is a really good idea. But just keep in mind that if that policy goes against the state in which the employee leaves, then the state policy is going to have to be the one that you follow. So we generally will say that there are some states where if your PTO is considered wages, then that means it's money that you earned in addition to your salary. So if you quit, then you actually get cashed out your PTO when you leave. So there are some additional stipulations regarding what classification of PTO has to be class- cashed out, things like that. Very generally speaking, vacation, accrual, PTO is cashed out when you leave. Sick or wellness time is not. Bereavement time is not. Maternity leave time is not. Um, So just keeping that in mind when you're creating your policy is that you will want to have some nuance considered there based on what's best for your company and team and also what you expect to be able to afford when it's time for your your employee to leave. Um, Okay, and then... Can I, how can I prevent PTO abuse or excessive absenteeism? Okay, so these are the la- the next couple of questions are actually questions that I found from ChatGPT as like the ones that are most Googled. So I think when it comes to small business owners, we do want to prevent PTO abuse or excessive absenteeism by using the structure that we talked about earlier. So if you have a really solid and clear PTO policy that outlines exactly what you need from your employees and when in order to take advantage of their PTO, you've also cross-referenced their PTO time and what they're able to take with the needs of the business then you won't have to worry about being taken advantage of. Because if they go past or they don't follow the policy, then the PTO time may not be granted or it may go unpaid, which means it's not going to cost you any money. And I will be honest, there has been situations, especially when I was getting married, where I used up all my PTO and there was a week of my honeymoon that actually I went unpaid. And my boss didn't have to allow me, based on our company policy, to take that time off. It could have been a disciplinary action, but because it was you know booked in advance and it was my honeymoon and he's not Satan um then I was able to just go unpaid on that time and budget it and put it together based on our our budget and then I didn't have to sacrifice like spending time with my family around my wedding time or spending time with my friends that were flying in from all over the world or you know whatever the case may be because I wanted to save the time so I could go on a honeymoon so just that's just one example of a way that you can stay within the structure and then there will be some gray area where you can choose to, you know, kind of bend the rules a little bit based on the situation or um, offer bonuses or rewards and things like that to offset your company policies without necessarily setting a precedent that you're not going to be able to maintain. Okay, so let's see. The next one from ChatGPT was, are there tax implications or financial considerations for providing PTO? Okay, so basically your tax professional is going to be able to tell you if there's anything that they might need in regards to understanding where your employees' times are going. I'm not going to say that that's not a thing that you should think about. Uh, Most of the financial implications are things that we talked about in regards to behavior and things like that. Um, but there, in all the time that I've been working in my business and in small business and even in corporate, it wasn't really something that our CPAs needed to know was how much of that time was going to sick time or bereavement time or whatever. It was really more 
more for the operations team to understand where our PTO time was going um, on the HR side so that you can see what the financial implications are of providing certain types of PTO when, when and if that happens. The one exception to this that I will say is not on the tax side, but the financial consideration side is maternity leave. And this is a really nuanced discussion, so I'm not going to get in here, get too much in here about this today. Um, but maternity leave is essentially something that you offer to your employees, and it's very reliant on an understanding of your overall business needs and your policies and the procedures and what you can afford to offer and what you can't. And also it can be a risky situation because we don't want to get into the weeds of discrimination and things like that. And we also want to make sure that expectant parents, whether they're the birthing parent or not, um, are the values that we have around these topics are displayed through our PTO policies. So those are, I'm not going to consider maternity leave in this discussion here today because that's more of a leave of absence discussion and how that works on the HR side. Um, but I will say that some states are more generous when it comes to disability leave and maternity leave for employees like New York and California. Um, and those are great states to have employees because your business doesn't have to pay for your employees to be on maternity leave. You can maybe supplement something that the state is providing, whereas in most other states, um, Texas and Georgia, and those are just the ones on the top of my head because that's where we've recently dealt with this, they they may not have any state-sponsored benefits for maternity leave, which is pretty standard in most of the company, the country. So small businesses can really struggle to provide these um, kind of, I don't want to say extra, they should be basic benefits. <laughs> I think we can all agree, but to provide those benefits for employees that um, live in states that don't offer any type of compensation. So it can be more expensive to have team members there, especially if you have a team full of women that are of childbearing age. Um, or, you know, birthing parents that may be potentially having children soon, things like that. Now, knowing that, you're not supposed to go and discriminate against people. But, you know, I'm just saying in general, um, that is something to consider. And that's going to have a little bit more of a consideration on your finances than a day off here or there that you have to cover for your for your team member. OK, so in order to stay, one of the questions we got um from Instagram was, what do I need to do to stay compliant with labor laws? Basically, we recommend that you build out all of your HR processes from the perspective of the state in which you live, and then you have amendments depending on where your multi-state employees live so that any additional structure or time off policies or anything like that that is required can be built out specifically for those employees. Um, and then a annual audit is crucial to make sure that you're staying ahead of all those labor law changes and making sure that you're staying compliant. Um, one thing that I don't think people understand is if you aren't compliant with HR stuff, then you don't really get a chance to say, oh, no, I didn't know. Like, it's literally just a bill. So keep in mind that those penalties are not usually up for discussion. And if they are, they're still going to be really expensive. Um, so take care of your HR compliance. You are held to the same standard as businesses that make $50 million a year versus a business that makes $500 a year um, when it comes to HR law and labor law compliance. Okay, so this was a question from Instagram as well, and I'm going to kick it back to last week's episode where we talked about um, inclusive holidays. So the question is, should I offer paid holidays in addition to PTO? And 
It's up to you is the answer. Um, I would say that standard practice is that most companies have a few paid holidays that are just kind of a given. Um, And then there's PTO that their team can use to supplement those paid holidays. So keep that in mind when you're creating your budget for your team um, and the flow for your team, um, as well as your PTO policies that may include blackout dates or launch dates, um, things like that. For example, we have many clients who get really busy during the holidays, especially our e-commerce brands. And so it is common for those clients to have there be a blackout week for paid time off during Thanksgiving week and the month of December, um, with the exception of maybe Thanksgiving Day. Um, They may even also incentivize a bonus for employees who volunteer on Thanksgiving Day or work partial hours or something like that in order to kind of put a positive spin on the fact that they need that support during that time. You can also require your employees to work on holidays if you need to. So keep in mind that At the end of the year, if you want to make sure that your team feels well balanced, if you have a team that really goes hard at the end of the year, then include that thought process and how you might build out the rest of the holidays throughout the year. Um, Maybe you do like a a two week shutdown in the summer instead or something like that. Um, Just make sure it works for the flow of your business as well as um, you're providing clarity to your team that they can build on year over year. That's how you get people that are committed to your company for a long time. And then they can like pursue their own goals and stuff. Like if your team knows every summer we get really slow and it's easy to take time off and, you know, my boss is always around and there isn't a lot of vacations, then they can plan for their life to travel during the summer or, you know, do things like that with their kids. If you are really clear about your patterns and your behaviors and it's a really small team and it matters when you're around, but you always take a vacation around Thanksgiving, then make sure that you have that really clear and straightforward that you have a blackout date for the two weeks around Thanksgiving for your management team so they can be available for your employees because you won't be there. Those are all things that make business you know, structure more fun and it gives you the freedom to explore being a CEO and all the benefits that come with it when we're shouldering the burden and risk the rest of the time. Okay, so... The last question is, what are best practices for communicating the PTO policy to my employees? So essentially, the way that we do it is we make sure that every employee gets an orientation. And during that orientation, it's not just about their job description. It's actually about the company's policies and their culture guide so that they can see, you know, kind of in layman's terms, what is in the handbook? What can I expect for PTO? What am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? How do we communicate with each other? How do I reach out and get support? Things like that. Um, it, no matter how big or small your business is, having your voice lent to an orientation for your team to understand the policies of the company as part of their first day of work or their first couple days of work is really integral in setting up the standard and equitability across the board for all of your team members. So if you know that every single person on your team is going through the same type of orientation, then that communication can't be misconstrued or confused. So it keeps it nice and clear and straightforward, and it also really sets a solid pattern and a boundary so that you don't have to say the same things over and over again. 
you are allowed to change your mind about policies and procedures and things like that along the way. So basically, if those changes are made, then we just recommend that you um, send out a update in some type of written format in an email format or a Slack or something like that. And then you make sure that you write down that that was communicated and it was acknowledged by the team. And then always opening up a line of communication for questions and thoughts afterward. We generally recommend having that be something they can schedule privately because especially when it comes down to these types of things that employees really count on and enjoy having like PTO, then it can be something that can be a little bit sensitive or maybe people can even feel nervous or scared that some rug is going to get pulled out from under them. So helping them understand um, the implications of it is going to be a really key way for you to communicate those changes to your employees. Okay, Um, the last thing I want to talk about is just before I leave you um, is that you can offer different types of paid time off benefits to different team members at different levels. So essentially, when your team member is with you for one year or two year or three, two years or three years or four years, you can actually have a sliding scale of PTO that they can accrue or that they're gifted. Um, you can offer sabbaticals, which is a, a can potentially be a version of PTO. Um, you can offer for unlimited time off after they reach a certain level in the company. For example, maybe you offer unlimited time off for director level and above. Um, there are benefits and there's pros and cons to unlimited time off, but we're not going to talk about that in today's episode. You'll have to tune in to our next episode for that one. Um, but I just want to kind of point out that your PTO strategy, if your business can handle it, can be a great way to create retention, boundaries, structure, and expectations within your team, Um, not just for the short term, but also for the long term, and to keep them excited and engaged, but also to have a really good balance between their work and their life so that you don't necessarily have to worry too much about about having to revisit these things over and over and over again. So yes, they do change. They just change little by little. I would set the standard and revisit it once a year. And then just make sure that you really understand the reasons why your policy is what it is. Um, And if you need help to construct this policy, then we are always here to do that. So a couple of the resources that were mentioned in this episode were last week's episode on inclusive holidays. So definitely hop on over to our blog if you are sick of my voice and you don't want to hear me talk about it anymore um, and get a list of to the general holidays and some additional holidays to be more inclusive. We also talk about the benefit of floating holidays um, in that episode as well. And our employee cost calculator, which can really help you to play with some of the numbers to see what your company can afford. Um, The beauty of HR and people operations is really evident in paid time off and, you know, kind of creating these benefits packages because it really ties together how your offer is structured, how your culture is defining the way you communicate. And also, you know, not to be like super geeky about it, but also how you create space in your team to build a culture that people can really rely on year over year. Um, And, you know, that stability and that ripple effect of the stability that you give to your team and how that actually impacts your client's experience is kind of the best. So um, please feel free to check out the show notes for links to those 
resources. And if you like this episode, the little closing thing that comes up will say this, but I cannot tell you enough how much it means to me when we see those reviews come in. Um, and constructive criticism and also is also welcome. If I misspoke or said anything weird in some of the topics that we're talking about today, I'm happy to learn from you. So shoot me a DM or a voice memo on Instagram, and I look forward to connecting. Thanks for listening. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.